Thank you for listening to this message from The Resting Place Tampa. We exist for the lost to be found, the found to be free, and peace to reign in our city. For more great resources like this, check out TheRestingPlaceTampa.com. My name is Scott Smiley, and I'm the executive pastor here at The Resting Place Church. So welcome to Introduction to Heart Wholeness. This has been a interesting uh, journey uh, that I've been on, and uh, trying to think, it would have been 2007, I think I started really moving into uh, kind of inner healing, deliverance, those sort of topics, and uh, uh, mentoring, and actually had left a, a full-time legal job, and thought I'd do speaking and uh, teaching and then ended up uh, serving with a local ministry here um, that was doing healing and deliverance type teachings and working with people. And so I started kind of this journey into like, how do we get whole? And of course, my dad is a a licensed counselor and had been pursuing uh, more uh, prayer therapy, prayer focused, faith focused um, modalities. And so he's been a big influence on me and, and given me, uh, both just practical experience. Cause I'd be like, dad, what do I do with this? And he's like, well, let's ask Jesus. And then we kind of roll into this session of, of encountering the Lord and, and bringing healing. And he actually travels the world, um, working often with pastors and leadership, uh, in particular, helping them encounter the Lord. And so, as we started uh, the resting place and we were having our first kind of initial meetings with our, our leadership teams and going, what, what is it that we want to do uh, with helping people heal their hearts? Because the sort of process is, you know, you, you're, you're living your life. Someone introduces you to Jesus and you say yes. And then all of your problems magically disappear and life just is like bliss from there on. And then when you find out it doesn't work that way, (laughs) then it's going, what is, what's the process? What do I do now to walk out some of the, sometimes it feels like abstract theological truths and go, that's fine on Sunday. And then you wake up Monday and are like, what do I do? And so that's been as a teacher, as someone that, uh, you know, wants to communicate around these ideas, you're always going, all right, how do you make this practical that you can grab a hold of and and leave with something that will will move your life in the direction that that God has for you? And so that's sort of the genesis of we're going, all right, well, uh, a number of us. on, on, the, on our leadership team here have been through different healing and deliverance programs, both, you know, you participate in it, you facilitate it. I was part of a, another ministry that was doing like weekend retreats and I loved what we were doing there. Um, but then as I met Caleb and we got clearer, I got clearer at least on, uh, you know, how our identity in Christ and the finished work of the cross shifts some of that. We started going, the vocabulary when you talk about healing and deliverance or these sort of things, people go, I know what you mean. And it's like, you don't know what I mean. <laughs> and so because we, 
and, and Christians, you know, everybody does it, but Christians make it extra complicated because we use, like, clicky words. We use, like, short phrases, and we think we know what the other person means when they say that. But if you're, like, Baptist, it, it can be different than if you're charismatic and if you're Catholic versus, you know. So, and so we, we have, like, we think common language with different definitions. So we really don't have common language. And so part of this whole concept of heart wholeness is going, we need a new word to describe a new process that comes out of the finished work of Christ. And so we were going, all right, what, what does that look like? Because one of the challenges that we were finding with healing and deliverance ministry is when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, even if it's a screw. And so the, the challenge becomes if all you're doing is incessantly looking for open doors and the next devil to cast out and the next thing to renounce, like at a certain point, you've probably covered what was actually your issues or near them, at least some of the fruit from the issues. But it's like if something else happens, it's like, well, you must have an unconfessed or un, unrenounced open door. There's something else. It's a Jezebel spirit. <laughs> when I see that online, you know, I, there was a post that I, I had posted that said, if, if you're always the victim, you might just be the villain. And because I was like, wow. Because if you think about all the villains in the movies, they think they're the victim. And so I was like, you know, if you're always finding Jezebel's it might be you. Um, and <laughs> all the Jezebel hunters, you know, uh, will probably take umbrage with that. But that's been, that's been my experience is people, they focus on, well, okay, so if that's the Jezebel, then where's the Ahab? Who's the, who's the passive one? And it, it becomes this endless cycle of something that, used, that, that has some validity, that has a, an application. It becomes this, hammer looking for nails and it's like well this one's a screw this one's you know something else that doesn't need a hardware tool at all but you go <laughs> i got my hammer and so uh, the the challenge i think for a lot of christians is the bar to become a christian is very low right if you can confess and uh believe confess jesus and and, and believe in your heart then that's that's what the Bible says is is the gateway super low bar. We want like it's not complicated. Once you cross that bar, it's all complicated. <laughs> right. This is the we serve the God who created Amazon ecosystems and Arctic ecosystems and deep sea glow in the dark with big teeth ecosystems. And like and we go, no, God, it's, it's all just simple. The thing I, I say to myself most of the time is it's only simple because you're simple because the world is very complicated and our how we process things, how we grow up, the layers of hurt and wounding that we pick up come often in they came over a period of time and we often want to just go, I want to zap, Lord, just give me give me the zap. And we celebrate, and it's great when you have testimonies, drug addiction, gone, alcohol addiction, gone, porn addiction, gone. The, and it's like, this is amazing. But the thing is, you still have to develop the character afterward 
to sustain the healing that you got. And so those become the difficult challenges of going, well, if you didn't get the zap, you still get the opportunity to develop the character <laughs> to maintain healing or to move into healing. And so in this whole process of trying to think through this, we go, what's the end goal? Well, others would say the end goal is that you are healed and delivered. But it seems that there's an endless process to that. And so it's like, is that really the goal? And so where we've tried to frame it is the goal is heart wholeness, that your heart would become whole as you walk out your unity with Christ. And so when we, when, when we, and you'll, you'll hear more uh, as we, as we continue to talk about it, both in, in the Jesus lab and, and on Sunday mornings, um, that we want people to move into a progression of wholeness. Hey. And so with, with the, with the, the subject of, of helping people connect their heart c- into a place of wholeness, um, that's where you're free to run with the Lord. You're free. You've been dropping the hindrances, the things that uh, have been limiting being able to hear clearly from God, the things that are, uh, you're, you're moving into your destiny. The thing, what is it that, why was I made? You know, the, the three kind of classic questions that everybody asks, who am I? Why am I here? What do I do? Right, and so the identity question, who am I, is really answered in the new covenant. As a child of God, I, I have become uh, one with him. And so Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. And you go, well, what was lost? Well, it, the lost started at the fall. And so I, um, I kind of made this example. So we have two uh, pieces of different construction paper here. And uh, go on in. And so in this, this represents like Adam and uh, Adam and Eve at the creation. And so they had a, a oneness with the Lord. And so he breathed his spirit into Adam and, and Adam became a living being. And there was a, separ- a, a, a distinction between him and the animals that God spoke and created where Adam, he came and he breathed into him. And so in that, there, there was this oneness. And so God would come at the, at, in the cool of the, uh, the day and commune, and there would be this unity. And so what happened at the fall was a separation. Hey, come on in. And so... When we, when we look at our lives, the, the search for heart wholeness is because we were separated from God. And then when we, when we come back, when we come to the Lord, we're often trying to, to put everything back the way it should be. But with the tear in our bodies, we're still working things out that we, we have not come into the fullness of what is promised, right? When Christ returns, our bodies will be fully made whole uh, and we will be fully like him. 
But in this meantime, we have a God-shaped hole in our heart, and that's when, and that, that becomes the, the pull to go, you know, would you accept Jesus in to restore this? In this process, what we found is your brain has developed naturally in the world. There was a separation that happened at the fall. Some people have hypothesized that Adam and Eve didn't know they were naked because they had a Shekinah glory. Right when Moses encountered God face to face or well, when he encountered God's back, um, you know, his face glowed and it was so intense. Everybody was like, oh, cover it up. And there are some that hypothesize that when Adam and Eve, because they were constantly in God's presence, they had a glow that when they had the fall, the glory left. And then it's not like, wow, you're beautiful and shining. It's like, oh, you got no clothes on. <laughs> right? And th- so there was that, that revelation, that shift of going, something changed in my life when, when I separated myself from God. And so the heart wholeness is going, how do we uh, connect with God to fulfill the Lord's prayer that it would be on earth in me, in my life, as it is in heaven? But to set this up for you, I want to go back to uh, the two trees in the garden. And we'll have some um, very sophisticated uh, artwork here on the dry erase board. So one tree... is life, and the other tree is the knowledge of good and evil. And so what happened was Adam and Eve were living out of a place of life. They had oneness with God. They had communion. The, goal, the, the point was that they should never die because they have the presence of life. And there was also the tree, the actual tree that was in the garden. But you have to have choice in order to love. You can't force love. You can't compel love. Love has to be given. It has to be chosen. And so God created a tree to give them choice. And so he's like, out of the whole garden, there's one thing. Because in order to have a choice, you have to have an option. And so this is the knowledge of good and evil. And when you read the story of Genesis, what's attractive, what's, what's really curious about what the enemy does is he says, if you eat from this tree, you will be like God. The ironic thing was they were the most like God that a human being would ever be. In his presence, no death, no sickness, like just living out their purpose, right? He said, be fruitful, multiply, take dominion over the earth. They were living their purpose. And then the enemy lies to them and says, if you, if you separate yourself from God, you'll actually be more like God. If you learn knowledge. And what happens is as Christians, we come in and we go, well, I don't want to be evil. I'll just do good. Right? 
Most Christians I know have stopped generally doing evil things. They're trying to do good things. But you're just switching branches from the wrong tree. You've got to move from the knowledge of good and evil to a place of life. And as we, as we quit trying to go, how do I be good enough? If I could just be good enough, if, if, if I would just behave better, then I would be approved. Then God would like me. Then God would bless me. No, no. Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life to the full. In him is life. And so when we look at heart wholeness, the goal is that we would experience life rather than trying to enforce a behavior modification program. But if you've been in church very long, you know that we spend all of our time trying to move people from one branch to the other rather than moving them from knowledge to life. And so the, the challenge becomes, so what do we do? Right? The, 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 the biggest problem that happened here, if you think, think about it this way, if you've lost your glasses, you haven't just lost your glasses. You've lost the ability, the way to find where you put your glasses. Right? Because with no glasses, it's like, if I take my contacts out, like, I'm like looking to try to find them with my eye as close to the table as I can because I'm super blind. My contacts are about half an inch thick. So they, uh, but the, the idea that it wasn't just the fall. They, Adam and Eve, lost their way to figure out on their own, how do I get back to life? It's not just like, hey, if you would choose better, you'd be better. Right? There's part that on our own, we're, we can muscle over from one branch to another at least for a, a period of time. And then we fatigue and we fall back. And then we're like, no, no, I want to do better. And then I, I get back on the good branch of the tree. But we're, we're still staying on the, on the law tree. And so when you look at what happened with the children of Israel, they're coming out of Exodus. God's like, you're going to be my people. I'm choosing you. I love you. I'm going to redeem you from um, Egypt, and we're going to take you out. I love you. I, you're, I'm caring for you, parting the Red Sea. I'm doing all this. And he says, I, they get to Sinai, and God says, I want to have a relationship with you. And they go, time out. You know what? You're kind of scary. This is big, thunder, lightning dark clouds, brooding, like, I don't know. Why don't you talk to Moses, give us the knowledge, and we'll do what he says. And 3,000 people died that day, right? Because by the time Moses comes back down from the mountain, they're worshiping a golden calf. And the Levites, hey, who likes the Levites, right? Those were the guys that strapped on the sword and killed 3,000 of their family members. (laughs) It was a bloody mess. And now they're, the, they're the, now they're our worship leaders, right? <laughs> I guess the kingdom uh, suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Um, and that's how the, the Levites got their, got their start as, as priests. Um, but the law pushes us back here. If you just behave... Right. If you keep the Sabbath, if you keep the Ten Commandments, if you keep the other six hundred and change activities, then you'll be approved of by God. 
and you'll experience the blessings. Right? And then Jesus comes and says, I fulfill the law and I make a way to access life. And so part of what I want to introduce to you tonight is the idea that you can encounter the source of life in a way that will bring healing to you outside of this never-ending search for open doors, open windows, what, what have you let into your life, how do I, you know, keep Harry Potter and the Boogeyman out, um, and go, what is it that is really my problem? Because your problem's not your problem. That's just the fruit of the problem. You got to get to the root of the problem. And <clears throat> as we uh, as we look at this, let me find the, the verse here. In John 6, 28, this has become like one of my life verses. And so John 6, 28 and 29, uh, they're asking Jesus, um, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Right? They're coming at it with the Old Testament view of going, what good things do I have to do? And this is Jesus's response. It says, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. I was in a group uh, of uh, Christian businessmen, and they were, uh, we were talking about discipleship and, and how do we disciple like Tampa and kind of trying to have these big picture conversations. And it was just, you know, the, one of the leaders has a very um, successful parachurch ministry. It was just like, you know, and I said, well, we need to help people with their belief. And he said, the belief's easy. Like, it's actually like doing, you know, walking out what you know that's hard. And I said, well, actually, John 6.29 says, the, you know, it's work, right? This is the work of God that you believe. And I would propose to you that the effort that we've put into our behavior modification programs that have failed in the past, if we put that much effort into digging into what do I really believe? What do I believe about God? What's the nature of God? You know, God is good all the time, all the time. God is good, right? We say that in church until it, it's, almost, it, it's, it's almost meaningless because we say it, but nobody is actually walking out a belief. They're not working to believe that in this situation that is hard and painful and I don't have an answer, but I'm going to believe that God is good. I don't understand it. I don't see it. We want knowledge to figure out what's happening. I want to be like God and understand what is happening in my life. And he says, will you believe that I am good, that I can work all things together for good, that I can draw all people to myself if I am high and lifted up, right? There's part that we go, well, actually, I don't really believe that based on my behavior, right? When I, so part of my, my background and training, um, I was in law school, and we were in a class uh, on evidence. And so that uh, class um, I had that professor for con law and 
really did not connect, did not like her. This was a, it was, she was a very difficult person in con law. However, evidence was her sweet spot. And she knew evidence. And I really learned to enjoy her and the class in this. But the one example that stood out to me was in talking about this concept called hearsay. So hearsay, and you've probably seen it if you watch Law and Order and stuff. And they're in court, and it's, it's dramatic. and Objection, hearsay. And <clears throat> they may or may not accurately explain what that is on TV. But what it is is an out-of-court statement used to prove the substance of what it, what it says. So it would be like um, I would be in court, and if India, you're not in court, I would say, well, India said that the defendant was you know, in this other place, was not at the scene of the crime. Objection, hearsay. I want to have India in the witness stand so I can ask her, was this person here or not? If she's not in court, I don't know. I, she could be lying. She could be real shifty. And, and, and everybody could see that it's like not, you know, you, you get to make a character assessment of the person when they're in front of you. But when they're not in front of you, all you have is somebody else's word for it. So the example that the teacher, the professor provided was you, someone could, can't say Bill, who's not in court, thought the boat was seaworthy. But if Bill gets in the boat, you can say Bill got in the boat and took it out to sea. Nobody gets in a boat and takes it out to sea if they don't think it's seaworthy. Right. The behavior showed the belief. And so we focus on going, I want you to get your behavior right. And God says, would you just work on belief? I'm, not, I'm much less concerned about your behavior than I am if you would believe in what I said. And so for us to move into a place of heart wholeness, it's really starting internally going, God, what do I believe about you? What do I believe about me? And then what do I believe about the world and how everything else works? Because if we start to get what I believe about God and myself clear and in alignment with God's word, then you start to have congruence in, the, in your belief structure that will start to manifest in, in, in a sense, good behavior. Righteous behavior. And so that, if we just stay on that, what do you believe? In any situation that you find yourself being challenged, that's like hard. All right. And you're like, now I'm mad about what's happening. I'm upset about this. If you get to a place where you go, what do I believe about God in this hard time? That he's not here, that he doesn't see, that he can't change the circumstance. Or if he can change the circumstance, he must not care because it's not being changed. Right? So we make all these judgments and assumptions about the nature of God. And, and it, it comes back to, all right, what do I believe about God? Because the the... The evidence, the, the five senses, right? The five senses come from trying to figure things out from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? What can I measure? What is empirically true? 
and you go, well, I can measure, you know, uh, well, we can look at like cancer, we can look at homicide, we can see the damage that's done to things. But we don't see in the spirit realm with our five senses. We can train our senses like in Hebrews 5. Let's say it's towards the end of Hebrews 5. It says that by continual training, we can learn to discern good from evil. Right? So there's part that we can actually start to learn and train our senses to discern spiritual things. But for the most part, we end up in a very academic, I want to know knowledge-wise, as opposed to I want to experience truth. And so walking through, all right, in this situation that's very hard, in this painful memory of what happened to me, God, what is true? And as we start to to take the painful places that we have and we start to move and go, all right, God, I need, I need a heavenly view of what happened and what do I do now? Because from heaven, in heaven, all the pain is resolved. Everything is, gets filtered through the cross where Jesus took pain, shame, condemnation, everything that was unjust, all the physical punishment, all the emotional. He was rejected by his people. He was rejected by his leadership. He was rejected by, you know, the church at the time. Everything that we may struggle with, he experienced. And so there's part that as we go, God, I need to see through the cross from heaven's view my situation. Right? Because a lot of times we're like, we have theological principles that we hold, and then we have our life, and we, it's like we can't cross the gap between those two concepts. My life has pain. In heaven, there's no pain. God is good, but how does a good God have, you know, help me in this pain? And so the, the move into heart wholeness is to go, how do we connect, uh, going back to who am I, who is God, you know, who am I, why am I here, what do I do? And so these, these kinds of questions, those are the, like, the, the ones that the philosophers have wrestled with, the great theologians have wrestled with. How do we do this? And it's like, well, who am I to have like, some new thought that no one else has thought of? But it's going, it's your encounter with Jesus that brings the personal healing and revelation to you so that in your process, you're able to walk from a place of life. And you're able to then impart life to others, to impart forgiveness to others, because you realize how much you've been forgiven, because you believe that every sin, right, every sin that you've done in your life was in the future when Christ died for it. Right? It's, it's a moment that transects time. And so wherever we are, at any moment, you can take that pain to the cross. And so, you know, I, I find it fascinating that, you know, <laughs> our Christian circles often struggle, like, with the metaphysical, with, with actually, really, just the spiritual issues. 
and yet you have uh, like Marvel. I don't know if any of you saw the Loki series but dealing with time variants. And so it's basically multiverse options, right? And so the church has ignored it, but it's a, there's some truth, I think, that God like projects. Somehow heaven is trying to, to get revelation to earth to, to help us understand and grow and learn. And comic book writers, movie makers, are picking up on truths even though they don't know the door, right? Jesus is the door that will lead us into all truth, but there are truths that you can learn. You, know, gra- you can learn about gravity and, and not know Jesus because it's, it's a physical truth. It works every time, and there are spiritual truths that work, and so that's, that's really all the new age is is people trying to figure out spiritual truths ex- without going through the door of Jesus. They're fence hoppers, right? They're trying to get into spiritual things that don't belong to them, or if they do belong to them, are, are not given to them because they've not accepted the gift. When you have Jesus, he has every good spiritual gift, right? And so when we have Jesus, we're able to move in these, in these spiritual realms and elements because it's the gift through him. So we've talked initially at the beginning a little bit about healing and deliverance, and we talked about how sometimes that becomes like the hammer that like when you have a hammer everything looks like a nail even a screw you can try to pound a screw in with a hammer and so the challenge in that area is we get distracted by lots of different debates can a christian be demon possessed can can you have uh you know can you actually participate in in healing of someone um what there's if you google stuff online there Whatever position, there's, there's someone out there usually loving it and someone else hating it. And so, you know, how, how do I discern what this is? But rather than trying to solve the debate about whether a Christian could be possessed or not, and I'll tell you, my opinion is no. But let me ask you this. As a Christian, can you believe a lie? If you can believe a lie, then you can be influenced to do things. You may not be possessed, but you are influenced because the lie will produce the behavior in accordance with it. And so sometimes I feel like we spend too many times looking for demons to cast out rather than asking what belief is empowering this behavior. Well, you know, the devil made me do it. What did you believe? The critters will go with the power of Jesus when you stop agreeing with them. When you stop believing the lies that they're telling you. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs eighteen twenty one. It says, those that uh, love it will eat its fruit. 
And so the question becomes, what fruit have you been eating? When you look at your life, if you look at your health, if you look at your finances, your relationships, your work, your education, what are you, what's the fruit? Because sometimes we can like reverse engineer the lie that we believe by looking at the fruit and going, everywhere I go, I feel like I get rejected. Well, maybe there's a belief or an agreement that's been made that says I am rejected or I am rejectable or I am unlovable or whatever that is. When you partner with the belief, then your behavior starts to say, even if I get close to someone that I like, someone that is working, if I believe that I'm always going to be rejected, I'm going to be more guarded. And then they're like, why are you always so closed? Like, I'm trying, I like you, I'm trying to get to know you, and you keep putting up boundaries. Well, it's because you're afraid of being rejected that you proactively put up things that will cause you to be rejected. And so then it goes, then if you switch the belief to go, I am accepted in the beloved, and I believe that other people will like and accept me. Because Jesus has already said, not only do I love you, I like you. I picked you. I made you the way you were. Hair color, eye color, this place and time, all of these things. You are where you're supposed to be. And so when you come from a place of, I feel loved by God that I am picked. So my beliefs are saying, I believe that God loves me and has good for me. What you start to, to look for is the goodness of God showing up. My wife does this a lot. She's always expecting to see someone she knows. We're in, in the middle of Italy. I'm like, well, I don't know anybody in Italy. She's looking for someone that we, she knows. And often she finds people. I don't think she f- we found anybody in Italy. <clears throat> but, you know, but also the expectation of the favor of God. When we were just in Mexico, we were checking in. And it was like, we always ask, do you have any upgrades? Well, uh, yeah, we can put you in this other place. What was it? The the first one was the ocean view. Um, and so they're like, well, we can do that. I think, was there a price on that? That one was free. So they, they, you can have an ocean view. You can go from looking like at a lagoon, at the like garden to actually being able to see the ocean out. And Nicole's like, well, is there anything else you can do? Uh, yeah, ask again. And they're like, well, there's the governor's place. And so they're telling us about how fancy it was. But it's, you know, it's only $1,700 more. And we're like, hmm, I think we'll pass on that one. <laughs> uh, what else do you, you know, is there anything else? Well, there's ocean front. So there's the view but and there's the front. But that's like $23 a night times seven. And we're like, uh, so can you do anything else? And they're like, well, let me make a call. So they make a call. We can give you the ocean front. So because there was an expectation to go, I can ask. What a, we, there, was, there was nothing lost with a no and everything to gain from an ask. And what I've seen, you know, whether it's in sales at work or whether it's asking for serve team members, 
to come serve on a, on a team here, people often tell themselves, tell themselves no on behalf of the other person before they even ask the other person. It's like, I think uh, you might be really good at this serve team. Uh, I don't know. And, and, and I, you, you say no before you've even asked the person. And a lot of times you ask the person, they're like, yes, I would love to do this. And you're like, oh, because I was really thinking you were going to say no. And, but it's like if they said no, you, you didn't lose because you didn't have them to start with. So we set up sometimes belief systems that if, I, if I'm told a no, that that's rejection. What if that's just not God's best for that person? Now you know that we can empower them someplace else and let's go on to the next person. Jack Canfield is kind of, he was one of the chicken soup for the soul authors of that series. Uh, I'm starting to date myself now because I was very popular 15 plus 20 years ago. But I met him at a, uh, at a conference and he was promoting one of his new books. And in it though, he was talking about the power when someone says no, you say next. And he had hired a, a lady, and it was commission only, to, like, sell tickets to one of his conferences. And uh, she talked to 100 people and had a 9% success rate, which in cold calling is actually really good. But those nine started at 91, 92, <laughs> 93, <laughs> 94. It was the last nine out of the 100 that she talked to. But he has a principle that he says, when someone says no, you say next. And there's part that I think sometimes in our Christian journey, when there's no's, we're like, well, God must not like me. I must be screwing up somewhere. I've opened a door and the demons are, you know, tormenting me. And like we, we go into this giant belief system trying to justify why that one thing that we wanted what's going to be God's best rather than going, what if we just said next? <laughs> if that was a no, we'll say next. What else do you have, Lord? Because we often have, again, a belief in a finite pie. There's only so much money in the world, and if all those rich people over there got it, then I don't get it. But the beauty of creativity is we can create something that people can give us money for, that was never been created before. And so now it expands without having to take from somebody else. And so as we, we start to really hone in, what do I believe in this situation? God, what do I believe? And sometimes we need revelation. We need to just be asking the Lord, is there a lie? What is the lie that I believe about this situation? What do I be, what's the lie I believe about myself? that I was rejected, that I was hurt, that it was my fault, right? They say most kids in a divorce believe that the divorce was their fault, even though if you ask the parents, the parents are like, it's not the kid's fault at all. It's that other jerk, right? <laughs> so at the end of the day, though, now you have kids that have grown up that believe that they were somehow a part of that problem, even though it's not true. And so it's going, all right, how do we go? All right. And it can be just as simple as I break agreement with the lie that says I caused this. Jesus, what's the truth? I was just a kid. This wasn't about me at all. 
right? And so that simple phrase, I break agreement with the lie that says, Jesus, what is the truth? If you're going to have a hammer (laughs) and look for nails, that's the one that I would encourage you to have because it goes to the root of the issues, which is the belief structure and not the behavior. And you can start learning to go, what am I feeling at the moment? Right? Because sometimes this is where, like, sometimes we, we, we make healing and deliverance sound very difficult and that you need lots of training and there's levels of devils and, you know. And we say, here's a, here's a belief that you'll find in the church. New levels, new. Where, I, I, I'm not sure I've actually seen a clear verse to support that. It's a belief. It's, it's, it's because there's been an experience that I got a promotion in, in whatever way, and I, I encounter new resistance that it's did, is this a result of doing something wrong, or is this the enemy trying to oppose me? So sometimes that's true. I'm not saying it's not true, but I'm saying, what's your focus? So what? New levels, new responsibility, new authority. Now you can take authority over this new booger that's hanging out, right? So there's part that we go, you know, the, the enemy is a liar. And paying attention to the lies. And the enemy is so sneaky, they'll, he'll put a thought in your head like, you'll have these flybys, right? That's why the Bible says take every thought captive because every thought you have is not yours. And if you don't realize that, then he's got you in a trap because you'll have this like horrible thought and you're like, that's really weird. And the devil's like, aren't you a horrible person because you thought that? But he was the one that put it there. And so you're like, oh, I am a horrible person. Who would think like horrible thoughts like this? And then all of a sudden, now we've got all this mental energy that slid into a total distraction that's irrelevant to you go that's not me bye flush right <laughs> just send that turd down right and you, and you go oh that's so much easier i don't have to do like a seven day daniel fast i don't have to do like all of these things to get myself in just the perfect alignment with the will of god to deal with this devil you go oh that's that's garbage Bye. And then it, sometimes it seems that we spend so much effort attacking the wrong root. And then Christians are tired and they're worn out and they're fatigued and they're like, it's like a steel heaven. And it's like, listen, when, when the heavens parted for the Holy Spirit to descend on Jesus, it never says they closed. Maybe they were left open because he is our access point. So we mentioned, you know, just checking. You know, you can just say, God, how am I doing with my health? Is there any lies that I believe? Right? Because I was in one uh, continuing ed course, and uh, they said food is actually the most addictive substance. More than nicotine, more than cocaine, more than heroin. Food. Because it's the hardest to break. You can't quit food. 
<laughs> you got to eat something, <laughs> right? But if the lie is cheesy carbs comfort me, and that's what I go to for comfort, it's really hard to eat fruits and vegetables. And they've done studies that show that, like, your dopamine rewards you with, like, cheesy foods. And there's a whole science between fat, sugar, and salt, right? And that's why, I don't know if you've noticed, but, like, even, like, the burgers at Burger King and McDonald's and stuff, they taste sweeter because you got fat, salt, and sugar. It hits all of the buttons, right? Because your body is wired to seek out fat, salt, and sugar, you know, when you're skinny running on the Savannah Plain, those are good rewards. <laughs> when when it's just the uh, the plains of Publix, <laughs> you're not running quite as hard, <laughs> right? And you don't need as much fat, salt, and sugar. And so, you know, the the way our brain is designed is to seek reward. And the Bible. Let me see if I've got the exact citation here. It is I I thought I had it, but um that you know we we are to believe that the Father exists and is a rewarder of those who seek him and so there's part that a lot of times we we don't really again believe that god will reward what we do oh it'll be in heaven sometime it'll be it's very abstract and yet when you eat that chocolate ice cream and your brain says do that again right that's an immediate reward system and so there's part of going, I, how do I change my belief that God is a rewarder and that the dreams that I have, that the things that, I, I, that he's placed in my heart, he will reward me with now. Oh, in the sweet by and by. For some, that is true. Some things we're just, we're, we, we won't see this side of Christ's return. But there's part that goes, well, how much of that? Who gets to decide that? Because that becomes an excuse for us to do nothing. Well, when Jesus returns, then it'll all be fine. Well, maybe you should make some peace in your neighborhood, in your house, with yourself, right? The problem is we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We just don't love ourselves very well. So if you don't like yourself and you're very harsh and critical, it's not a big leap to be harsh and critical of other people. And so... Again, that's why heart wholeness is such a, a, a critical concept, or belief is such a critical concept to heart wholeness because we can't get to the end result of uh, communing with God and, and having peace with God because we believe that he's very critical and, and busy judging us. In Hebrews 11.6, it says, Without faith living within us, it would be impossible to please God. Uh, here it is. For we come to God in faith, knowing that he is real and that he rewards the faith of those who passionately seek him. 
right? It's, it's that faith, the, the, the belief that even though I can't see it, I'm able to apprehend things in the spirit and pull it into the natural. Like the healing that we need, the provision that we need, the favor that we need. You know, it's interesting in, in Romans 6, uh, 6 through 8, in the Passion Translation, it says, Could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? Right? When you put your faith in Jesus, something significant happens. Your former identity is now and forever deprived of its power. For we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us. Now, sin there is interesting because it's a noun, not a verb. There's an entity of sin that gets dismantled within you. So that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Obviously, a dead person is incapable of sinning. And if we were co-crucified with the anointed one, we know that we will also share in the fullness of his life. Right? Paul goes on in verse 11. So let it be the same with you. Since you are now joined with him, you must continually view yourself as dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal while living daily for God's pleasure in union with Jesus, the anointed one. So there's some beliefs in there that you can start to grab a hold of. Do you actually believe that your old nature is dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal? You may still hear the appeal of sin, but you can be unresponsive to it. The thing that made that so attractive, you're like, you're dead. Right? There's part that we are now living in union. Our hearts aren't torn out anymore. It's all been made one. This part, actually, if I could do it well, would take all the blue off and just go, you are, let's see if I can do this, not without tearing the blue. But there's just a oneness now. The old you, the blue, is gone. And all that remains is Jesus living through you. The unique expression that God wanted through your unique fingerprints, interests, likes, and desires. So just as we close... um, I just want to pray over you. Jesus, I thank you for everyone here and everyone that listens to uh, the podcast. And I just pray, Lord, that you would reveal to us the lies that we believe, the lies that are keeping us from pressing into, into your goodness, into your love. I pray, Lord, that you would show us the lies we believe about ourselves, how we don't like ourselves, the way you made us, the things people have said about us. Lord, and I pray that you would come, that you, as the source of truth, as the person of truth, that you would speak life and life to the full to us, for us, through us. And Jesus, I just pray that there would be 
uh, a heart wholeness that is transferred as we align our beliefs with you to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, in us and through us as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from The Resting Place Tampa. We exist for the lost to be found, the found to be free, and peace to reign in our city. For more great resources like this, check out theRestingPlaceTampa.com.